Right. Okay, I suppose I should put this raccoon down. <laughs> You're an ugly raccoon. There we are, job done. Right. Okay, so everyone ready? Hello and welcome to The Last Standee, a board game podcast coming to you from five exciting countries all across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. Hello from Belgium. Alessio. Ciao a tutti. Audrey. Hey everyone. David. Hey people. And I'm your host, Finn. Uh, we're going to be talking about a range of different topics from across the hobby. And today, as always, we'll start with seeing how everyone's doing in the podcast catch-up. And we'll also check in with our little Patreon and see how that's doing. So, how's everyone doing? Um, I've been doing very fine, uh, especially since yesterday. We had uh, a nice little game evening with uh, Audrey and um, one of our Patreon. Uh, and we played some Calico and Park, which might be topics for later. Oh, spoilers. What else have you been Uh I've been painting a bit uh, lately. Um, I opened one of my Kingdom Death, uh, Death Grey Resin, the high uh, resin quality, the only one I own. And I started painting it right away. No priming. And I like it. Mm. Yeah, no need to prime. Get straight in there. I, I like that. That's how I like to paint. Uh, David, what have you been up to? Yeah, I got a n nice birthday gift by my son today. <laughs> I shared that picture from uh, that's it's a book about uh, an orc father, <laughs> and yeah, it was pretty good day so far. Okay, and Alessio. Yeah, uh, there's been quite a lot of stuff actually. Uh, first, the Patreon is doing well, so uh, there are uh, new Patreons, and I would really like to thank each one of you, but you are too many. Uh, actually, no, so thank you Dario, Remy, and Charles. Your support is very, very much appreciated, so you can give us the chance to be here talking to you about uh, unimportant stuff. So, uh, that aside, this has been uh, quite... Um, an interesting week because there have been a couple of Kickstarters uh, campaigns launched and uh, there was basically on all media, on all uh, socials uh, related to board games, uh, that there's been a lot of talk about uh, VAT and uh, a lot uh, of talk about the European and US taxes. So, yeah, it's been a been a bit of drama over over sort of things going on and um it's it's been interesting it's going to be tough because brexit has uh had a lot of uh, implications everywhere people in britain are hurting quite badly when um, they're ordering stuff from .co.uk sites and then learning that in fact the sites are not located in the uk and they're delivering from places in europe germany for example and they're getting hit with huge custom fees so it's um Oof, it's a bit of a, a bit of a mess, but hopefully uh, the board game industry will be able to navigate it without too many people uh, getting um, stung for stuff that they never thought was coming. And uh, from Europe, um, a lot of the stuff ordered from the US usually went through a loophole in the tax system through the UK um, to avoid uh, paying too much uh, taxes. So now that it's closed. <laughs> things are getting a, a little bit more expensive. Um, but the biggest problem is always when a uh, manufacturer did not um, plan ahead of that and 
the customer is up is uh, hit with like custom handling taxes and stuff like that, which yeah. go on top of the normal tax that the uh, seller should really just take care of. Yeah, the problem is it being, I will say, unexpected. It's not exactly unexpected because we knew Brexit was coming. Yeah, it's been like five years now. Now the company has to collect the taxes. And so for everything that was uh, standing, that's where the problem are. No, actually, it is even more than that, because it's not just a problem of importing stuff, but it's actually an export problem, too, because a lot of, it, of Kickstarters, starting from European companies, uh, have been criticized because they are actually including VAT in their prices, and when stuff gets exported, it's like the, uh, the, the, the old talk, which uh, who is uh, subsidizing uh, what? Sometimes yeah. it's shipping expenses, sometimes it's taxes. Actually, uh, in the end, uh, I think that all that matters is that uh, a game has a price. And uh, when it's European, we have to pay more. That's uh, a thing that happens. And it happens the other way around. But of course, it's uh, still money we're talking about. So it's a sensitive uh, subject. Yeah, we will probably see more evolutions in the coming months as the company adjusts what they do and how they communicate. Yeah, that might be a topic for a future episode. Maybe we can shed some light on it, like on the development. And yeah. uh, we will ask our Patreons if they want. Yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely could be an interesting topic. So it's now the time I talk to you about King's Dilemma now? Yes! Oh, it was about time. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> it's time to talk about the rather wonderful King's Dilemma. Take it away. Yeah, please. Uh, let me introduce you to the magical world of Ankist. It's a kingdom, actually, and it's the place where the, where the story of King's Dilemma is set up. So, uh, King's Dilemma, what is it, King's what is it? It's a board game, it's a legacy board game designed by Hjalmar Hack and Lorenzo Silva and is published by Horrible Guild. Uh, it's a 2020 game, so it's been around for a while. There has been a bit of scarcity because the first uh, print run got uh, sold out pretty quickly. So uh, there's now a second batch coming basically to every country. I think the last one, uh, the last batch uh, got to USA in these days, in these weeks. Uh, so uh, there's now abundance of King's Dilemma, and this is why we want to introduce this game to you. You say that, but I already cannot get my hands on it. Literally every single copy that was coming in was already reserved and bought everywhere from my uh, suppliers. So that, that's just how good it is. <laughs> Basically, uh, what is King's Dilemma? So. Uh, it's a game which is uh, which offers uh, a twist on the legacy mechanic. Uh, I'll be more on that later. I want to talk to you about uh, uh, the, the visual impact first. So, uh, visually, the game is absolutely nothing to write home about because it's a very simple game with a low production value. You are going to destroy this game and the game knows it. So. Uh, the, the components are real cheap and this could be the, the, the real put of the, of the game because you are paying 60 euros, 60 dollars, 70 euros, 70 dollars, 80 euros, 80 dollars. Actually, uh, I don't know about the pricing. 75 euros here. Oh, okay. And it's, it's available in French but not in English on the biggest French website. Sorry, Fan. 
Ouch. Yeah, so th th that's it. Uh, you are paying a lot for this game, and uh, the components are quite cheap. It's all cheap cardboard, cheap cardstock, and uh, the game is overall cheap. And uh, I promise you that this is basically one of the very, very few defects of this game. <laughs> because what's good in King's Dilemma? First, uh, the first thing that it, it does good is separating the single session and the overall campaign. And that is why I think that the legacy game is done very, very well. Uh, in a single game, you are a generation of uh, uh, the consulors of the King of, en of Enkist. You actually are the power behind the throne and you help the king making decisions. The entire session uh, lasts as long as the king uh, reign lasts. So basically, if the king dies of old age, you have done uh, you have done a good job for the kingdom. If the king is forced to abdicate because either the kingdom is going in ruins because the population is unsatisfied and there's no stability in the reign because everything is going to literal hell, and or because uh, actually the, the things are going too good, so there are patricians and noblemen and everyone who just uh, forced the king to abdicate. I just want to say, this mechanic, uh, it just struck me, it's exactly like the mechanic used in the app game Reigns, if you've ever heard of that. Yes, I, I, I was going to mention it. I played that as well. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels with games like Reigns and other uh, uh, binary choices games because uh, so what you do in a session you are basically uh, voting on a series of dilemmas. So uh, if you played app games uh, or Steam games uh, where uh, where there are uh, card gut based binary choices you already know what's happening because basically uh, you are faced with a dilemma with ethical and actual uh, factual uh, consequences and you have to decide if allowing something or denying it so you vote a or nay uh, uh, when everyone has voted uh, if nobody overbid so it's basically a bidding game here uh, the side with most power uh, bet on it wins. So they get to spend the power and the consequences for that vote uh, are resolved. While the losing side uh, recovers, gets back their power for future votations. So uh, if I understand correctly, every player gets to, to vote, but only one player applies the consequences and pay for it uh, in the end? Uh, not exactly, but mostly, because what happens is that uh, there, there are two sides. So uh, let's say we are four players, two players decide to vote A and uh, two players decide to vote Nay. Uh, and uh, the A side has four power on it, while the Nay side has two power on it. A wins. Now, uh, in the A side, there, there will be one player who will be the leader and would be the uh, signy because actually you will sign the the law you are passing uh, you physically sign the card so that this will be remembered you will be the leader if you are the player who bet the more power on that outcome so if we played uh, i played the three powers and you played just one power i am the leader of the votation so i will get to sign uh 
Yeah, but is it? Um, I, I read it was cooperative. It's actually the players are in opposition and needs to vote for themselves. I thought that the purpose was to make the king live as long as possible and not get get. Him. No, no. The um the the purpose is your. I think it's each generation you're dealt a card that gives you a set of goals and you're trying to uh, adjust the various tracks up and down to get to your set of goals and then you'd be winning. There's other little bits and pieces as well, but essentially you're kind of. Hit hiding away what you're really after um, and if you can do very well at controlling and manipulating people you get others to to vote and lead on agendas that help you advance your position okay so each player is playing for themselves and the king is more of a, a track to when the round ends and the condition of that uh, round end rather than the actual uh, an actual winning or losing condition right uh, mostly, but thanks for your question, because uh, that, that's actually the very next subject. Uh, the fact is that uh, the kingdom is represented by five resources, which are actually not resources, because they are basically your scoreboards. So, uh, the five scores start at the middle point, I think it's on the nine track, and they can go from zero to eighteen and uh, they uh, basically every consequence of your actions will raise or lower some of these uh, scores when they end with them they will uh, bring with them the stability of the kingdom so that if you get overly rich the stability will go very very high the kingdom will collapse because the, the king will be forced to abdicate otherwise if the if something like welfare goes very very low and it brings the the kingdom stability with it the people will start a revolution that's basically it so uh, you have a secret objective like uh, a secret goal uh, like uh, fan said and basically you will uh, aim at some sections of the board for example there's an objective moderate which will say that you will score more victory point at the end if you have most of these scoreboards on the middle of the track otherwise you could be greedy and you would want a lot of stuff actually a, a, a an average number of stuff on the high end of the track. So basically everyone has uh, conflicting objectives. Yeah, so the whole point of the game is kind of to balance that um, your own goal for this specific uh, game and your global goal for the rest of the the party so that your legacy can be um... kind of but often you'll find what actually boils down is you're constantly uh, maneuvering and positioning to try and get, gather as much power as you can for yourself um, through various different things it's interesting how if you're able i i, I this is one of the things i found if you're somebody who can't set aside your own personal morals and ethics when playing this game some years you'll have a lot of problems because your goals ask you to vote in a direction that you know you 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 don't want totally to. true yeah um <laughs> so you have to be morally flexible while gaming and just look this is what i i want and need but i found a big part of this game and a big part of the draw is if you can get into that you suddenly realize essentially you this is what politics at a high level can boil down to it's not about the results it's about the power it's about getting what you want and getting your way and getting your agenda pushed through and trampling over everyone else
That's why I would constantly be looking for the uh, guillotine agenda. <laughs> yeah, th- this is a very cool game because this uh, this is a, a system which is basically very simple because you have to just vote A or nay and try to bribe or influence or talk your way to have the votes go your way. But what really is cool is that if you actually have it your way, Uh, the kingdom could collapse at any moment, even in an unfavorable moment for you. So, for once, it could be important for you to vote against your own uh, your own uh, benefit, because that would keep the king alive for a bit more, so that you can further other objectives. Or even you could have long-term goals, because your house as a whole as uh, long-term goals which could be different from the alignment from the goals you have for that session and uh, to further those goals you would actually lose victory points because in the end we are talking of victory points so uh, this is uh, the, the the real subtlety of the of the system which is working very good and it's a cool cool representation of politics So uh, you said that it was a legacy game. I'm guessing that you can only play the campaign once because it sort of uh, unfolds, or is there some level of replayability if you try to play different house or if you uh, mix and match some different cards? Well, uh, this is more legacy than other games because I think that when you are done with it, you will probably know uh, how some decision will, will evolve. Uh, and actually, if you played it correctly, you destroyed and you attached stickers everywhere, so that could be a problem to play. Of course, uh, the, the, another very good thing in this uh, day and age is that this game could be easily played over the internet with a, with an Excel spreadsheet. And I think that Horrible Guild in 2021 published the Tabletopia uh, mod to play it uh, Uh, online if provided that, that someone has the cards to read so if someone owns the game you can play over the network for free to be brutally honest um, this is one of the big negatives for the game uh, I've, I've looked around I've spoken to people many people who love it have a second copy so that's driving scarcity further and it honestly feels like this is a legacy game that's better played in an electronic format Um, there is branching paths from what I've heard and the story can take strange turns, different turns depending on who's playing. So um, as I said, quite a few people I talked to about it who played through said, I'm ever so glad I have a second copy so I can play it again sometime and experience a new, uh, a new telling with different decisions. I see. Because um, for example, Pandemic Legacy had the advantage that when you get to the end, you can still play the the pandemic game it's still yeah. there yeah, yeah and you can even replay some of the older decision because some of the the transformation that happened in the game aren't that uh quote-unquote game breaking yeah you you end up with a playable game at the end that's a little bit unique compared to everyone else's uh yeah i'm wondering how like uh i think the it sounds like the game is best played with a fixed uh, number of players And then over several sessions, <clears throat> what uh, amount of playtime are we looking? 
Oh, uh, this is uh, actually uh, a good point about this game. Uh, I think that uh, uh, Horrible Guild says that uh, it's completed on average on 16 sessions, and the sessions can be very quick. I think every session is uh, averages at an hour, so when there's more discussion, sometimes you go to an hour and a half, and sometimes if someone gets to kill the king very, very early, you get... You get you play sessions as short as 10 minutes it happened in our kingdom <laughs> so yeah basically it is a uh, three to five players uh, i have to say a, a thing about player count this game is best played at full player count uh, there's a, a popular variant on the internet uh, which you could read about which just balances the 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 points scored to a sixth player, but uh, I would advise against that because playing in six means that uh, every time there are all the secret objectives in play because the the total number of secret objectives is six. So uh, basically, some strategies which work because you never know if that specific secret objective is in play on that session will not work if you play with six players so i i advise against that but i i advise to play this game with the same five people from start to finish that's actually it's our thursday night uh, currently mm. so that would suggest maybe um with more time in development uh Horrible Guild would have been better off creating more than just six uh, sets of objectives to increase variance um, in what player goals are to, to obfuscate them a little bit more. Yeah, actually, this, this is called the dilemma system, the one they're using. We will probably won't see anything anymore about King's Dilemma, but we will see more games with this system, which I would say uh, they are naturally politically oriented but uh, more games with this system they are actually a cool thing because this system works very well i can't wait for the eventual samurai or japanese themed one followed by the zombie themed one sci-fi king's dilemma and probably the pirate one where you have to manage a mutiny (laughs) the shogun's dilemma yeah, so uh, this is basically the game on the session part of the big part of the Legacy game. Now, I want just to say one last thing about the Legacy part, which is the coolest part of it. I actually find that uh, I played a lot of uh, games like uh, Risk Legacy. I played uh, uh, Pandemic Season 1 and 2, not yet 0. I... Uh, I, I tried a bit, uh, I tried a lot of uh, legacy games, and I found them to have all the same problem, which is in the end the game drags a bit because you know that when you're approaching the end of the game, uh, your decision will be unimportant because a big part of it has already been decided and in the end what will change is just a bit of text in the end because you could score more or less points now uh, the cool thing about king's dilemma is that you have eight stories eight main stories in the game which advance with your decisions and uh, as long as you complete those stories you will uncover uh, an ending sticker which uh, will have a part of the big 
final or fina finale of the game and uh, that sticker you uncover instead of another sticker you uncover will change the rules for the final uh, for the final episode now uh, i didn't yet play this final session so i don't know actually how it will play out i sadly spoiler spoiled a part of it for myself to uh, be able to to get here and talk of this about uh, about this for with you but uh, that's actually cool because the the uh, kind of permanent uh, currency you accumulate during the sessions which is prestige and crave prestige if you did well crave if you if you put your ambition over the wellness of the kingdom the two uh, scoring these two kinds of currency will be used differently depending on how the story evolves so it it is actually an an, an incentive to care about it and that's a very cool for a legacy game. Hmm. Yeah, so King's Dilemma is certainly beating a path towards a new style of uh, legacy game. What's just going to need to remain is how the public feels about essentially uh, I'm paying for the experience and once I'm done, um, I just maybe hang some stuff on the wall as a memory or, or something. Uh, we'll see how how people yeah. do it. But the reception to King's Dilemma has been very positive all around. Oh, and I would like to say as we're on the subject of legacy games, um, I'm not going to say which legacy game this is from, but if you're going to design a legacy game and you're going to include an element where you have to compare how you did versus everybody else on a global website, don't do that because it's really frustrating <laughs> because the later you play, the the harder it is to get the success condition. And to be honest, that particular game that did that, we stopped playing exactly after we looked at that thing and went, oh, well, this is garbage. <laughs> I had no idea this existed and I want to know the game so that I don't play it. I don't know, but that thing you mentioned was what ruined the Mass Effect 3 ending for me. Mm. Oh, well, if, if you really need to know, spoilers coming, close your ears if, if you, the listeners, don't want to know, um, but it was Charterstone, which I loved up until that moment, and then I got we got very fr frustrated with it, we've not been back to it for three years. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> the rest, the rest oh, of the game is fantastic, <laughs> but I just, I, it just sucked. We looked and like we were like, there's no way in heck we could ever score the kind of scores people are putting here. So this is basically a non-entity. This is a failure because other people have replayed it or done exceptionally well above the curve and forget about it. You know, um, as long as we are uh, throwing names, I would say that uh, legacy mechanics do not belong in a game that takes over a year to finish for most people. <laughs> yes, I think we could uh, <laughs> agree on that one. Naming no names. Anyway, um, now we go from uh, one lot of royalty of kings and courts to another bunch of princes and princesses with cats and quilts. It's time for Audrey to take us through Calico. Yeah, Calico, I bought this game a month ago and I've already done two games of it, so that's my most play board game of the month. <laughs> um, for a very short summary, Calico is a board uh, is a board game where players take turns drawing tiles and putting them on their boards, or the opposite way around, putting tiles on their boards and then drawing them. The idea will be to put them together on the board so there are spaces for the tiles and to make combinations of either 
colors of the tiles or patterns to make the most beautiful quilt. When you make a group of color of the same color, there are six colors in the game, you can earn a button to uh, sew on your quilt. When you make groups of the same pattern, you can get a cat that comes and sleeps on your quilt. That's it for the most part of the game, with the exception that you have a few personal objectives to them. So these are tiles that, you, that are put on your board and the tiles around can make objectives based on the colors or the patterns. There are six colors, as I said, and six different patterns. Each color plus pattern combination is present three times in the game. So there is a lot of randomness in the game as to which tiles are going to be available to draw from. With two players, there is a bit of randomness because at total, each player draws 22 tiles. So out of more than 100 tiles, there may be some colors, some patterns that you may not even see during a game. It's highly unlikely, but it could happen. And for sure, some color plus pattern combinations will not be seen in a two-player game. But there is a variant for that which uh, addresses the randomness. So it sort of differentiates itself from most uh, tile matching game because this in this one each tile has two value it both has the pattern and the color right yes every space objective that you can have on your bond ca can be completed with patterns or with colors or if you're very lucky with both and they score more points if you complete it with both yeah, um, I I had a chance to play this a little bit. I only played the solo variant uh, due to time pressures. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but for, I would say that's really good because it's not just score as high as you can score or you're playing against an AI opponent. As good as the um, Autonomous Factory opponents are, I will say. Um, but this one, you have a scenario and it'll say score this many points, but you also have to do these particular objectives. And that's where it fascinating to play because the board is very tight there's only a limited number of spaces and you've got so many different ways of scoring so you're you're juggling like you're looking and going okay well i need to put two of the same pattern over here but i really want to expand that into a big enough pattern in order to attract this cat over um but then i need these colors in a group to get the button and it's it's great because you have to make cuts and um, harsh sort of like okay I'm giving up on this particular thing to in pursuit of points and on top of that with people or in this case in the solo um, thing the track removing tiles you might want in the future you've really got to look and be like Ooh, okay which one from the market is is what what do I need what do I want which one of these two tiles in hand can I hold on to for for the longest possible before I play it um, and, and so on I I thought it was really good um, I didn't have a chance to play with the advanced cats but i took a look at them and i was like oh okay that's that's way more interesting than the basic cats which are good for learning but you have to put the patterns down in a shape that they want as well yeah i really enjoy that the game has a beginner setup then regular setup uh then almost the expert setup depending on why what you want to add and there is also the family variant in which you don't use the objectives so it's it's really sun it feels sandboxy to me and really you can adapt depending on your on, on who you're playing with yeah they've done a lot to make it very accessible to a wide range of people which is great 
Yeah, it's a very well thought out point system. I, I think that it's the winning part is the separation between pattern and color, which gives uh, a small board like that a lot of depth in the decision space. Well, I think the winning part's actually the theme. Um, there's often <laughs> this. This is a a tile laying game. Um, and I say it reminds me of Isle of Cats and, of course, um, Patchwork, uh, but also reminds me of Tiny Towns. But the thing is, in Tiny Towns, you don't feel like you're building a town at all, really. You're just kind of placing the buildings in the colours to try and condense them down to get the particular uh, building that you need. I will say Tiny Towns is amazing in its own way, and definitely if you enjoy Calico, you will enjoy Tiny Towns. But Calico just nails it. As as somebody who has a mother who loves cats and makes quilts, this this is like it, it is it's real. Yeah, when you are making a quilt and you have a cat around, they are very likely to just come along and go. That's nice. You're working on there. I'm going to sit on this bit that you need to move a bit later, and then I'm going to refuse to move. It's it really is, and it just I love that games are expanding to cover weird, odd things. It's not just traditional fantasy or hey, these are trains or this is what happened in this war. Refight it. It's okay. You're making a, a quilt. You're knitting. You're you're a seamstress. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's 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 a, a theme that could I think could appeal to my my mother. And um, it, it as a well, maybe not at the moment. I'm afraid. Unfortunately, the family cat passed away recently, and she's very upset about it. Oh, uh, yes, oh, it was. Sorry to hear that. It, it was. It was. It was very sad. The poor, uh, poor girl. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's the kind of thing that eventually she would enjoy, and it's very accessible, and it's easy colors and shapes. Super yeah. easy to get into. P- Personally, for me, like the standouts, it just looks super comfy. Like uh, it's visually <laughs> pleasing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's um it's a very beautiful game. Um, I, I would say normally in a in a podcast like this, it would take the prize as the most beautiful game we're talking about. But uh, <laughs> it's got competition yeah. this time. One funny thing is that as soon as I started talking about it. My cat can, came on my desk and asked for pets. I don't know yeah. if he can understand it, but it was perfectly timed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to to bounce off on what you were saying, I think that the thing that I really enjoyed about my uh, the game that I had with with you is that it's really easy to learn and there's no uh, learning learning curve at all. Like you can devise strategy, you can think about how you'll play, but from the get-go, you know how the game uh, will unfold. And so it's it's really ju- uh, easy to pick up and to play one or two games in an evening with your family. Yeah. Uh, while other games, you might want to uh, learn the rules and sort of um, uh, have a, a steeper... Uh, time to to learn the the proper strategy. Yeah. Uh, what I what I really enjoyed was also that for the entire game, uh, trying to pursue multiple ab- objectives is usually uh, risk to be your your downfall. If you try to do go for multiple things at the same time, you might end up painting your you might end up painting yourself into a corner. It's also quite often exhausting. Yeah. It it, it takes a lot of. Um, uh, brain power to follow the different uh, okay so this color i need for this but i also need this pattern if i have this, this pattern this color in this exact combination i can have it uh it, 
it's it's a very interesting game. I kept in my hand for the entire game uh, one specific um, tile because it would help me finish one of my pattern, but I was expecting to find uh, something that would work better. Uh, it it was um it was a lot of fun. The only thing that I think might be a slight problem with the game is that the um, uh, patterns can be very busy busy looking and sometimes it's hard to to just keep an eye on which card is which pattern um yeah, yeah some I, are a I, bit hard to notice and read yeah i i'm guessing that the uh, the physical game is easier on the eye though Sla uh, slightly it just looks beautiful though one thing that i think is very interesting in the game is that you can select your objectives because if you want to play on buttons and patterns and just that, and not care about the objective, you're playing low risk, low reward. But if you want to do the objectives, you're playing high risk, high reward. So you definitely can uh, combine different uh, strategies, and that's really interesting. And one thing that's interesting is the price point of Calico. It's a game that costs less than 30 euros. Yeah, it, is. Yeah, it seems to be a perfect family game. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I I only had the chance to look at the at the pictures. It is just cardboard for forty euros. It's very pretty cardboard. There's paisley and everything, and pictures of cats, as everyone knows, are priceless. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. What was I thinking? Of course. Yep. Well, uh, it's a. Uh... A beautiful game. It's an easy game. It's easy to pick up, but I would say it has a low skill floor, but a very high skill ceiling. You know, if you're going to try and score very big points, it yeah. it does take a lot of thinking and and intelligent play. But fortunately, that system of you only having two tiles at a time to play really just stops you from getting overwhelmed. So you're you, you are because you're having to think about so much about where you're going to put these particular tiles and leaving space for future positions. So it it has a very tight uh, design. It does. It it, it really does. And as, a, as I said earlier, um, some games like this can feel exhausting. This one is about the right length that you don't burn out when playing it. You sort of get near to the end and you're like, oh, yeah, so close. I reckon if only things had gone a little bit more differently, you know, I could have scored some more. So it's a it's a very good game, and I think it's an easy recommendation for anyone who's got um, people who, family members, friends who are a little bit more uh, spatial, physical, um, and are looking for something that's you can adjust the difficulty there to match and fit them however suits you. And suits yeah, them. for sure, it's good design for a simple game. Mm. Well, speaking of which, we're going to go from uh, having a, a quilt with a cat sat on it to having a sleeping bag with yourself lying in it with another very beautiful game called Parks. So, Maybe a bear sleeping on your <laughs> Well, the bear's friendly in this. So Parks is from Keymaster Games in, um, in collaboration with the 59 Parks uh, print series, which is a series of... Uh, art pieces about all of the 59 parks of america parks is um let's say it's been burning up lists a fair bit last year and uh it, it came to my attention because it's a game that plays one to five players and several people who played it solo and two player have said it is great with any number of players whatsoever it's got a solid 
very enjoyable, very difficult solo mode with a lot of decisions. And then just adding more players doesn't cost the game anything. So Parks is a game about hiking. Each player is going to have two hikers. They're represented by very cute little specifically made meeples. Um, they trek along for over four seasons, a trail that's randomized through budget tiles that gets gradually longer and longer. On your turn, you're going to take your hiker and you're going to move them to any space on the trail in front of where you were. You can't go backwards because just like in life, when you're hiking, turning around is not an option, apparently. At least here it isn't. I guess the park rangers might have a word to you if you if you go back or more importantly, you're probably looking at more beautiful things along the way. Each space has its own built-in ability. Most of these give you tokens um, they, uh, and or they do other things like they let you change a token in to take a picture. They also have weather on them. Weather is determined by the season. It's either going to be rain or splendor slash sun. Um, and you'll be collecting these neat little wooden tokens. So the game essentially collect tokens, convert tokens into points. So how do you convert tokens into points? You can spend them on photographs if you have the camera or if you go to the space that lets you take a photograph and take the camera. You can spend them on buying national park cards, which are the, uh, the three cards available each season. They have a cost on them, usually includes uh, mountains and forests and then some amount of water or and splendor and or uh, it varies a bit. They're worth a, a variable amount of points. The more points they're worth, the harder they are to get. Um, you can, of course, at the end of a season, reserve one. Um, what Basically, this is you saying, I want to buy this later. Uh, I can't afford it right now. You might want to do that because you've got a goal that requires you to go to a certain number of water parks at the end of the year. Or you might not care. You, your goal might be to take X number of photographs. Who knows? You, you get dealt that at the beginning. Um, other things you can do is when you receive water, you can pop it in a canteen. The canteens will do various different things. Um, the most basic of them is you get to turn a water into, say, a mountain or a forest token, which is great because water is way more common than forests and mountains. You can also, at the end of each season, spend splendor on buying gear. The th thing is, though, you only get to do one action at the end of a season for each of your um, hikers and spaces can get taken by other players in advance End spaces can get taken there are bonuses for being the first to complete the trail so the whole thing reminds me of Takedo in that you're trying to move as little as possible each turn to eke out as much value as you can but you also need to be like I've got to get I've got, I need this I have to go here I need this I've got the camera objective I've got to do the camera space that's very far up I can't let anyone else take the camera from me I have to sacrifice all of this along the way what I really enjoy is that it also incentivizes the, the players to sort of um, go into space to take them from other player and make sure that they don't take too much advantage of it all to rush ahead to be the first one to finish and get the advantage because the first player advantage for example is actually pretty strong uh, little stuff like that makes the, the whole you can move as many spaces you want at the same time um, to to really uh, adds a lot of tactic to the game. And that's from the little experience that I had playing it with um, uh, Remy and Audrey. Um, 
that's really what the game felt is that there's a lot of little mechanics that seem innocuous but actually uh, bring a lot of tactic and, and depth to the game yeah your first season is a short trail of five different places there's a short amount of weather on there um, and you'll make a decision to maybe buy some gear or perhaps reserve a park or even buy one at the end uh, pretty simple but then and the next season a new piece of trail will be added in, everything gets randomized, and you may now have some gear or some extra canteens that changes up how you're doing things. And you're, you're sort of building an engine as you go and gaining momentum. And hopefully by the third and fourth season, you'll have a, a good way of generating a decent amount of points. But other players can be interfering with that, whether intentionally or not, or even because they're completing the trail faster than you. That's it. Last hiker has to get get catch up with everyone they don't get to dawdle their way up the trail they've got to get to the end and make their decision so it's that extra piece of pressure yeah and the trail is randomized every time but with the same uh specific uh tiles so it can also really change the strategy of it like if buying gear is at the very end of the trail you might take your time to get there or if it's at the very start you might want to rush ahead with one of your hikers so that you can have the uh, resources to buy uh, to buy more gear it um it keeps the game really interesting yeah yeah it's um it, it, you you always have the same basic locations but they're advanced ones and there's one randomly added each season and once they're all in, uh, you'll you know when you're reaching the end. There's an extra tile for four plus players as well, um, which I haven't had a chance to play with. But it's it's a good way of visually seeing how much longer is left in the game and how many seasons are are left to go. Um, you add on top of that weather uh, being determined each season, which the seasons give you a extra ability um, that can vary and also deploy the weather tokens in a randomized pattern and that adds more uh, more even more variance and more things to think about and you can't plan for it you don't know what each season is going to be like you just know there's going to be some rain and there's going to be some sun and you might get some of these what i really enjoyed also is that the opportunity to um, visit park so to, to spend your resources to convert them into points uh are sort of limited and if you want to buy uh, all of the park that interests you you kind of have to to really uh, budget for that and maybe buy less gear or get less canteen if you want to get the points that you need it's it's a really well almost like um like calico tightly designed yeah. game it really feels like they refined each mechanic uh for a long time absolutely considering all you're doing on your turn is deciding how far you're moving one hiker and then collecting whatever happens on that particular tile at its core um it's it, it, there's a awful lot of branching decisions and things that happen I really like that uh, your options get more complex over time because the gears that you have, the canteens that you have will open more options and so you have lots of choices at the end but uh, it really gets introduced progressively so you have really the time to see oh I'm buying this and now I have this option and you have time to see it and to use it and to understand how you can make uh, uh, basically mm. uh, a resource building engine yeah um that reminds me in many ways of glory to rome um which is a fantastic yeah. card game uh but other engine building games as well tableau building games where you are iterating on your m machine um but you kind of don't even realize until you're on like two three seasons in you may be like suddenly like, hang on a minute i'm building i'm building this mechanism machine to try and support my end game goal which is uh whatever i've 
dealt, being dealt at the start, or once you're used to it, you can dealt two goals and pick one to to go for. Um, yeah, you, you definitely discover it with the canteens as they're drawn from face down, so you don't know what mm. you're getting. Yeah. While the gears, you have a bit more choice. You do. But yeah, canteen is like, oh, what what am I getting? Okay. Yeah, you've got to adapt on the fly with them. Yeah, and they might be useless. Um, besides, besides those player interaction where you can pretty much block movement, there's not much uh, like more interaction between the players, right? Um, no, it's you're not directly uh, interacting with anyone else. You are simply taking um, spaces that they might want to go to. But considering the whole game is about going to a space to get stuff, it actually feels very interactive. Yeah, it, you might be competing for the same uh, parks to visit, but uh, overall, there's a feeling of interaction with the player as you as you move along the trail. What I what is really interesting is that your turn goes by very quickly. Uh, you just move along the trail and do like one action on it, and it's always going to be the same. But it also constantly feel strategic because you are thinking with uh, the other players in mind, with your other goals, with your canteen, with your gear. Um, it was really fun to see that a turn would take maybe less than a minute. Yeah. Um, so did did you both have a chance to play with the expansion or did you just play a learning game with, with the game as is? Uh, we had the expansion on the tabletop simulator mod, but the problem was we couldn't find the year cards from the uh, game itself, from the core game. So we played with your cards from the expansions, and we, when we drew uh, parks from the expansion, we didn't use them if they had the tent, because we didn't know what the tent was. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> so it was a big stuff, a mix-up. A bit of a mix-up. Okay, so uh, Nightfall uh, was the first expansion of parks. Um, it doesn't change the game too much. Uh, each player gets to start with a wildlife token, and that's my chance to talk about them. So wildlife tokens in this game are wild. They do anything. They count for any of the other tokens. They're also, each one, individually unique. So there's a bunny, a bison, a moose, um, a wonderful little wolf, uh, who's my favourite, a fish, and so on. Um, uh, and in um, Nightfall, everybody starts with one because suddenly there's more pressure on the tokens. You get a bunch of new extra parks to bring it up to the full um, 59. Does it say 59? Yeah, 59 parks. Um, these extra parks are worth less, but they have special abilities when you buy them. So they add a little bit more to the purchasing side of things. Uh, just as an example, um, the... Uh, Katmai National Park, once you buy it, you get to reserve or purchase an additional park straight after. Um, uh, speaking of beautiful little tokens, uh, if anybody is interested, they can come onto our Discord because our fan posted some uh, really pretty pictures of the game. Yeah, yeah, I, I was playing around with, uh, with taking some photos while playing. Uh, I will say the first photo of the wolf, um, it's never actually appear on that tile, but he just... You wanted to be there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the next um, section of Nightfall is you get the campsite action. So there's going to be a bunch of uh, tents that are put out on the track. And when you land on a trail site, you use it as usual, or you get to do the campsite action, which means you pitch the tent um, and 
they have a separate bunch of campsites on a track below that do other different stuff. You get to like turn in resources to get more resources, uh, take a photo, get a canteen, etc. So it adds more options to what you're doing um, rather than adding a extra bunch of complex things. In essence, it expands each campsite space to give you more choices, making them very valuable indeed. So valuable that when you play the solo mood, mood mode, the, um, the park rangers knock over the campsites whenever they get to them and clean them up. So you have to get, get there ahead of them if you want to make use of them. It's a, a very simple expansion. Um, it does bring me to the only negative I have to say about this game is the expansion does not fit in the main box. The expansion is literally a few extra cards for the for the parks deck to bring it up to the full 59 and an additional set of um, like the um, goals cards and things and there's no space in the main game to fit them in. And this is a wonderfully designed tray from um, game trays. It's just perfect except I can't get rid of the nightfall box. I have to have both up on my shelf. Um, and I guess maybe if um, Parks is going to be putting together more expansions, that's not quite so bad because you can't expect the box to keep expanding endlessly. But um, it's a very different size in the nightfall box. It is, um, it's way short, not shorter, but um, it's, it's not as wide. So it, it doesn't sit in the same profile next to it on the shelf. The way that, the, say, the root expansions all have the same box um, dimensions, just different depth. Um, this this doesn't... It, it's a gorgeous box. It just... The expansion doesn't look good when sat next to it unless you want to leave blank space behind it on your shelf. High Frontier has the same problem. So, yeah. Um, but that said... Everything about this game is what I would call luxury. This is, if, if you were going to ask what a boutique game is, I would point to this and say this is unique <laughs> art for every single card from beautiful artists. Uh, buying it contributes a little bit towards the support of the national parks. Um, all the tokens are gorgeous. They, they feel nice to play with. They are well cut. Um, they feel a little bit rustic. You know how sometimes wooden tokens can be very densely dyed and very solid and they're fun to play with and they look good. Um, but these ones feel in theme with how... Uh, like, like you bought them from a gift shop at the um, at the National Park, you know, so that someone makes them there on site or something. Uh, in, in contrast, the hikers and the tents feel very like robust and and more traditional. Yeah, one of the patrons pointed out that those um, those Spark uh, cards look a lot like sort of old pamphlet-type presentation for parks, which look which uh, look really beautiful and pretty. Well, it's um it's a whole actual thing. Fifty nine parks dot net has all of these prints available for you to to buy. Uh, so <laughs> you can you can even get a gold membership um to get access to like. A load of credit for the shop and pick them all up honestly if i lived in america and i didn't have to deal with import fees i would be looking at maybe picking up one or two of these to put on the wall in the gaming room because they are that beautiful 
Yeah, the whole art style looks a lot like um, Overwatch, which is uh, a video game that uh, was based in uh, in American parks, and it has also that sort of uh, kind of dimmed color uh, look to it. That's not the Overwatch. Did I say Overwatch? I meant Firewatch. Ah. I was a little confused for a moment, but Firewatch, yes, I get that. Um, it reminds me as well of as The Long Dark, which has, um, it's a Canadian oh, yeah. video game about survival in um, the wilderness. And there's a bit of that in here as well, that kind of very beautiful um, li- line-free style. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's such a pretty game and it's very accessible. Um but also has that depth of iterating and building your engines and coming to understand what you do for each different particular goal and adapting to it along the way. I, I'm very happy I picked it up. Very pleased with it. Also reminds me of that uh, improvise, adapt and overcome. <laughs> and it's in pre-order for now in France. Coming next month. Oh yeah, and that's something else that's worth mentioning. The game has so few bits of language on it. Like uh, you could play the English copy with people who can't speak English, and you only have to explain a couple of cards. And you, it, because it's all open information, it doesn't matter if they're not sure. You can always come back and say that's what this card does. Yeah. Once once the setup is done, you just need one uh, page of a book open, which is the one that explains the symbols, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's a high recommendation. For less than 45 euros, it's really... yeah. If the component quality is as you said, that's really good value. The component quality and everything is amongst some of the best I've ever had in a board game. Um, I would say that... The, I, I held Eclipse up as being like the high standard of, of the best um, tray. Of, that's a game trays again. I think this is better. Both of them had the problem of not really having room for expansions. But, you know, if you're just buying parks and by itself, it's an amazing game and the expansion is not anywhere at all essential. It's, yeah, it's just perfect. The um, the token trays, I forgot to mention this, they're, they're logs of wood. So they, there's two of them, one on either side, and they're little like um, shaped like logs of wood. Very pretty. So that is um, my recommendation for the month. And I would say it's uh, for anyone who enjoys worker placement style or track style games and wants something that they can play with their family or people who are not so into gaming or even with people who might struggle with English language being a requirement. This one has a very um, low English requirement uh, and just always draws attention yeah yeah and you can even just spend time looking at the card <laughs> oh yes yeah well it is a work of art genuinely mm. so as uh just like parks is a journey over entirely one year flowing from start to finish over season to season we've gone through this from subject to subject and now we've come to the year end or the end of the podcast so that has been this episode of The Last Standee. I uh, hope you've had a good time, an enjoyable time. I really do hope that you consider seriously buying um, some of the games that we talked about, because 
all of them are fantastic. Even the ones we didn't do on the main subject, get tiny towns. Get it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, get Calico and uh, King's Dilemma and especially Parks, but get tiny towns as well. Get King's Dilemma if you can find if it. If you can find it, yes. I, I ended up getting tiny towns. I <laughs> love it. Right. Uh, so you can catch us on now our Patreon. Which is um, the last standee. www.patreon.com forward slash the last standee. Remember, it's two e's in standee, not one. The extra e is for exciting. Right? And that's all we have time for. So uh, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from David. Bye. Audrey. Bye. Alessio. Goodbye. And Alexis. From Belgium. Au revoir. <laughs>